This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Before we get into today's episode, we would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the Wandry people of the Kulin Nation who are the traditional owners of this land. We pay our deepest respects to the elders, past and present, and to the next generation we hope to create a different future for. The best career advice that you are not getting is to invest. Hello and welcome to your Ingle Company's Founder Series. Last episode of the Founder Series. Woohoo! I know we had a bit of a break as well. <laughs> what? Did anyone notice? Did you guys notice that we've actually had like four weeks off? <laughs> but it was on purpose because I'm it up was. in Sydney. Woohoo! And that is because we have Vogue Codes this weekend. Mads, for anyone that Codes doesn't know. Vogue Codes Conference. Yeah, just, for anyone that doesn't know what that is, what is it? I'm actually so excited. So it's a day run by Vogue and it's all about bringing together women in STEM or people who want to be in STEM. And they've got, I think, 25 or more than 25 speakers from all over Australia and also the world, one of which is the incredible Dr. Julia Reisler, who we are so fortunate to be speaking to today. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this episode. Honestly, her business is like nothing that I've ever heard before. Maddie and I were sitting here like, what? wait, people do this for their job. I know. It's and then <laughs> having a bit of an existential crisis. <laughs> but no, Julia will be speaking at Vogue Codes. Unfortunately, the event has sold out. You can get on the wait list though. But yeah, I was going to say you can get on the wait list and I guess promotion for 2024. Yeah. If this is an episode that you really enjoy, then just mark in your calendar that maybe in uh, May next year. <laughs> Don't miss out. It's been a calendar in my vote codes. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. Dr. Julia Rasa is the co-founder and CEO of Ulu. Julia is a highly regarded marine scientist and adjunct fellow at the University of Western Australia. She holds a doctorate in plastic pollution with over 15 years of experience leading R&D for universities, technology companies and foundations, including the Ocean Cleanup, the Australian Institute of Marine Science and the Mindaroo Foundation. Julia is also completing her MBA at U and has a PhD, Masters and Honours in Oceanography. I have to say, I think, Julia, you are one of the most highly experienced, no, what's the word when you have all the education? Educated. The most highly highly educated people we have had on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on Your In Good Company. Yeah, thank you for inviting me to participate. So, Julia, we always start our episodes in the same way and it's to get to know you so firstly what's your drink of choice my drink of choice uh beer i would say pale ale pint of pale ale i love it very nice (laughs) and do you have a favorite book and why I, I love so many books. I think the one that I'm reading at the moment, I'm quite in love with, with which is called Build. I don't know ah, if you've heard about it. I haven't heard of it. Yeah, it's quite good. It has very good tips on building like hardware uh, startups. It's from a guy that I used to work with in 
Apple, and it was wow. I was like the inventor of the iPod and oh, cool. and then the iPhone, and yeah, it's some good tips in there. I actually recently saw that. Um, the iPod, like the classic iPod, was selling for like six hundred dollars on this. eBay, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I should have kept my iPod yeah, <laughs> yeah, and sold it. Yes, coming around. And do you have like an Instagram or a social media account that you really love that you think should be shared with people? I think uh, I guess we're going to talk a little bit about Ulu, my startup. And I guess if you want to know a little bit more about the kind of material they're developing, there is a group called GoPHA that provides quite a yeah, good information and it's quite fun the way they do around yeah this material they were producing and uh, yeah, I'm recommending checking it out. Julia, you mentioned your startup there and I am very excited <laughs> to get into it because it is quite amazing. Can you break it down for us? What does Ulu do in simple terms? Yes, well, Ulu was born uh, around the realisation that the market is still missing a truly compelling alternative to fossil plastic. So, you know, we have this material that we have this love-hating relationship that is made with fossil fuels. It's creating a lot of persistent pollution within our own bodies and also in the environment and the oceans. And uh, yeah, after studying that problem for a long time, uh, I realized that I'm a strong believer that the alternative to that fossil plastic will come out of uh, a material that's made with on the feedstock side with seaweed, which is a farmed plant that we farm in the ocean, that we actually want a, a future with more of, is a, is a feedstock that's actually good if we can scale. And then on material side, replacing plastic with a special kind of natural material is natural, like cotton and silk and pa paper, but it has that special power of delivering those things that we love about plastic. It's, it's lightweight, it's waterproof, protects your food. So basically, in a nutshell, Ulu is a startup that's developing a PHA, uh, which is a plastic alternative, using seaweed as the feedstock. So that's what we focus on. I'm so curious. What is, like, I guess, the main differentiator between normal plastics and then the plastic you're talking about like is it biodegradable or is it better with recycling like what's the biggest advantage yes i think one of them it's through really empower us to create a future that's truly decoupled from fossil fuels i guess we want to leave the fossil fuels on the ground on the energy front we do have renewable alternatives on the plastic one, we need one. So in terms of Ulu, we believe that we can do that by using seaweed. And then on the material side, if you look at our materials, uh, which I have some demo objects that I can pick up. <laughs> Love that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, basically, it delivers the things we like, but it gives us the option to either reuse an item, recycle the item, and most importantly, compost it. So if there is no recycling infrastructure around you, uh, you can actually shop it up together with your food waste and compost at home or uh, industrial compost. So it allows you to, at the end of their life, to be able to bring, to put it back on the soil in a healthy way. So it's compostable. Wow. Yeah. Very interesting. Very cool. Where does the name Ulu come from? Does it yeah. have a meaning? <laughs> yeah, so my co-founder, Michael, and myself, we were looking for a word that doesn't have a meaning yet, that we could bring <laughs> a, a meaning yeah. to the world. So we were like playing with words. And yeah. uh, I guess he's a surfer and he loves Uluwatu in Indonesia. Yeah. Oh. So I think that kind of inspired him into the Ulu word. But it's a word that didn't exist before. So now if you type Ulu on Google, we're going to show up first. So it's good. Smart. It's like something unique that yeah, we can Yeah, I guess build it's on. like Uber, like all the big companies 
companies yeah. have those names that, but there's so many companies that the name has become so synonymous with the brand. Yes. And yes. now you can do the same. I love it. <laughs> so you're solving like what seems to be an impossible task. I mean, everyone obviously wants a world with less fossil fuels and better plastics. And you're doing that with your company. What was it like the first conversation of like, all right, we're going to tackle this huge issue. Yeah, so I think like by background, so I'm originally from Brazil and I studied oceanography in there. Which um, I didn't even know was a thing. Yeah, way, yeah. So yeah, it's like it's all about <laughs> studying the oceans, both like the, the currents and the waves, but also yeah. the chemistry so of it cool. and the marine wildlife, which is what I was studying. And so I, I guess I started by studying the problem, you know, back in 2002, so it's been a while, and looking at all these animals with lots of plastic inside them, um, decided to move to Australia in 2009 to learn English, but also got a scholarship to do a PhD in ocean plastic pollution. But then you start to get quite depressed and like just study the, the symptoms of the problem. Um, so when I finished my PhD back in 2015, I decided to leave academia and try to look at pragmatic solutions to the problem. So the first job I got was in the Netherlands with a non-for-profit called The Ocean Cleanup, which was all about, um, and still quite thriving. When I started, it was just me and the founder, but now I think they have like 60 people. Wow. Yeah, and it's all about removing rubbish uh, from oceans and rivers. And I love that one, but I was like, okay, I need to go more to the source because I still felt that we're kind of, you know, battling well, with I the systems. You're reactive when yeah, you're it, yeah, with it? the yeah. symptom of the problem, just getting all that rubbish out. Yeah. Um, so then I decided to come back to Australia, got a job at Mindaru, which is a family office, and work with the investors there on the impact investment team. And got, um, yeah, this opportunity to look at lots of businesses tackling uh, plastic pollution from different angles and notice that it's still having that, yeah, we still didn't have a compelling alternative to plastic. You know, if we, let's say most of the bioplastics out there, they made with uh, land crops, so things like corn, for instance. But if we were to have a, a lot more corn in the world to um, replace fossil fuels with, you end up with other externalities. So you might end up with uh, affecting the price of food or end mm. up with more deforestation and all those things. Um, so yeah, through that work, I think yeah, after 15 years of studying things like I yeah, come up with this solution that I truly believe in on using seaweed and then this fantastic group of polymers called PHAs and putting them together. So I think it was, yeah, after a lot of study and I think it was early 2020, then I decided to leave my jobs and then look for a co-founder with complementary skills. So Michael is more on the finance side and <laughs> you know, kind of did my successful pitch with him. And we spent one year working like part-time to pay the bills and part-time on this just to see if we wanted to dedicate our lives to it. So there was, you know, 12 months where lots of deep thoughts on turning idea into a business model. And then 2021, early 2021, we got a bit of a pre-seed round done. And that was enough for, for us to go to our lab in February 2021, get our first hire in and demonstrate a, demonstrate a bench scale that we can do it. And then late last year, we did our seed round. So we raised 8.6 million. Wow, congratulations. Yes, there's a lot to go, but that uh, helped us scale. So now we're not working only on the bench, but we have a small uh, pilot plant in Perth that is producing like kilos of these materials and are allowing us to work with 
prospective customers they are keen to try our materials and look towards replacing the uh, the plastic with with Hulu. So look, look, working towards offtake of that material. Yeah, we've spoken to a lot of founders over the last couple of months, and they often talk about that moment that they decide to take the business full time and what that feeling feels like when, you know, you're sort of, you're torn in multiple different directions and it just, you hit that point where you decide that this is just something that you have to do and you're sort of ready to go. Can you tell us a bit more what that experience was like for you and your co-founder, Michael? Yeah, I, I think in 2020, I was like, okay, we have this idea, let's have a look. And I, I think for us, it took a while, you know, like we took 12 months to kind of convince ourselves that we like, mm. okay, let's embark into this, you know, <laughs> jump into that entrepreneurship journey. Um, but then I think once you... Once you jump there, then it takes a lot of grit and belief and being able to like, okay, this is the mission and there will be failures but successes and see things like as I stare. So I think something that we have a lot of is, is, is grit and we look at each other on that. I think for those considering that, for me, I think it was key to have a co-founder as well because sometimes like, I'm going crazy, but then you can at least look at each other and say, <laughs> yeah. okay, no, we're not crazy, let's go. And So finale yeah. like every other day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why seaweed? Because I have a friend of mine who has invested in a seaweed farm, I think in Tasmania, and they just sing its praises and talk about all these incredible things that it can do. Like if you feed it to cows, cows will produce less methane? CO2, yeah, mm-hmm. methane in, the, you know, in their daily activities. And I'm just like, if it's such a magical, like, thing underwater, beautiful little plant, <laughs> I'm thinking of also a little mermaid. Also good for sushi. <laughs> also good for sushi. Like, why aren't we using it more? Firstly, what, what does seaweed do? And then I guess, why aren't we using it more? Yes, uh, uh, in Southeast Asia, we would we, we use a bit of that. Depends on the report you read, but it's about a, a few tens of, uh, so 20 million tons per year of seaweed, more or less, that we produce in the world. So there, there is a bit of a market. And I think now that we have this push towards a, a cleaner future, um, we... We believe a lot on seaweed because seaweed is, we need a biomass that grows fast and has a little, create little damage on the process as you, as you farm. So for you to grow seaweed, you just need seawater and sunlight. So you put some ropes in the ocean, little baby seaweeds on it. You wait 45 days, they grow. You go there, you kind of chop it up a bit, leave a little piece and it grows again. So wow. it's, it's quite straightforward and you don't need, like, let's say if you're doing corn or sugar cane, you, you need fertilizer, you need yeah. fresh water, you need land. So it's, um, yeah, it's a feedstock that you can grow under a, a low um, amount of input. And then on top of that, it's also very good for the health of our oceans. The first thing that seaweed does, it grows very fast. And as it grows, it can take two things out of the environment. One is carbon. It's very good at getting mm-hmm. carbon pollution out of the environment. So it really tackles climate change that way by removing carbon uh, from the ocean and therefore from the atmosphere. And then the second thing is it sucks up a lot of nitrogen as well. So one problem we got in the ocean is that we're flushing it with sewage and fertilizer. So there is an excess of nutrient going to our ocean that is not good for for the animals that live there and the fisheries and all that. And one way to mitigate that is by having more uh, seaweed or marine plants in the ocean. So by farming that, you can you know, tackle climate change and also improve the health of our oceans. So as an ocean scientist, I 
Yeah, I like to be working in a business like Hulu because we're creating demand and hopefully we're going to see a growth on that market that already exists in countries such as China, Japan, and Indonesia. But I think by creating that demand, hopefully we're going to see um, the market growing and coming to Australia as well and, and other countries. Uh, yeah. It's Incredible. so cool. It sounds amazing. Where Where are you along the process of sort of developing this? And when you're thinking about that, who are your sort of customers that you're targeting or what's the next steps in the business? Technically, we can replace a wide range of plastics, but we still have a premium associated with our prices. So the, 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 the markets that we are uh, targeting at the moment, it's uh, luxury packaging, so packaging for cosmetics. And the other one is fashion. So we're mm. doing a lot of um, developing a fiber I don't know if you know, but like about 60% of our clothing nowadays are made of plastic, like like this one, you know. Oh. Um, so creating a fiber that delivers those things that we love about plastic clothing, like it's waterproof, it's outdoors and all, but without creating this fiber that persists like inside my lung or when you wash that clothes, it goes, goes to down the drain. So in terms of yeah, prospective customers, we are looking at those two markets to entry. Uh, luxury packaging, so basically the, the tubes that the creams yeah. come in and also put a lot of effort into an R&D of a fiber that is natural yet deliver those things that we like about polyester mm. clothes. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a great place to start and target market, but I guess the opportunities are endless, right? Like we, like you said, there's plastic everywhere and we use it in almost everything. So hopefully Ulla can grow and then it can replace all plastics. Yes. And I, I think like that was the ambition of like creating, you know, a strategy that we believe can be scaled on mm. the years or even decades to come in terms of, you know, finding that feedstock and finding the material that truly can, you know, replace fossil plastic at scale. Like I used to go to the New York to advise the UN on their SDGs. Um, Gosh, you so know, cool. plans and things when done? I was more like an <laughs> academic, you know, and yeah. then say, oh, let's give a hard time on plastic. Maybe we work with tax or tariffs or something to put that fossil yeah. plastic price up. But there was a concern is like, if we do that, then maybe other kind of material are going to grow and we create deforestation or food mm. price competition. So coming up with a material that actually is a true alternative to fossil plastic, that's not going to create other concerns are, are quite important, even from a policy making perspective around, yeah, put, you know, stop, stop subsidizing fossil plastic and letting materials that are truly sustainable scale. Yeah. So I think that's, yeah, our ambition is to be able to really penetrate that 500, uh, yeah, we produce a lot of plastic, 500 million tons a year. So it's what are, speaking of policies, like what are Australian policies surrounding like plastic consumption and plastic exportation, et cetera? Like, are we on the right track to adopting these kind of technologies like yours or have we got a long way to go? I've seen a massive progress since like when I landed in Australia in 2009 as a planet and also in Australia, like most of the consumers, normal people, if you'd say, I know I, I work with uh, plastic pollution. It's like, oh, what are you talking about? Nobody, you know, there was no awareness within um, everyday people or governments or businesses. And I think now we got a very good momentum and you're seeing some change. Of course, there's a lot more. We need to mm -hmm. accelerate that change. But the dialogue is there. Um, and, and that is in Australia. But also, uh, we're even looking at um, UN is having discussions on creating a binding instrument that allows the countries to have targets and, and so forth. And you see Australia 
Australian investing more in circular economy and having better recycling in place and all that. So I'm optimist. There is lots yeah. to be fixed, but we're seeing progress in our fronts. Also, like the brands that we're talking with, they are keen to dialogue. They are supporting us, even though we're very early stage, you see their willingness to, to change. So... I think, yeah, on those 15 years that I've been involved on that space, it's, it's amazing what we achieved. And, of course, we need to keep accelerating that. But I'm mm. more optimistic to see a better well, future. Well, we're an island, so yeah. we've got a lot of water <laughs> to grow the seaweed. Yes, exactly. <laughs> a so, lot of coasts. Yes, yes, yes. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. It does feel like there's been a big groundswell over the last few years as well around more sort of sustainable options and people care a lot more about this stuff both in investing and also in what they're buying day to day Mm -hmm. one of the biggest problems that you did touch on earlier is that price point initially right when you're trying to build this stuff it is going to cost more is it the kind of thing do you think that as you grow and as you scale are those costs going to come down yes we I mean, we have a roadmap for that. And what I'm hoping to see on that space that Ulu operates in, and we hope to be at the forefront of that. But, you know, a few decades ago, we saw renewable energy price going down. And, you know, now we have alternatives to fossil energy. And it's more about, you know, like, you know, getting in there. And I think in terms of, replacing fossil materials with renewable materials, we're seeing, yeah, that production costs going down. And I think Aulu, I believe that by uh, investing in better seaweed farming is like a feedstock that's so cheap to farm. Like you have, you know, Indonesia, people even below the poverty line, you know, just get some ropes you put in the water and you get mm. the feedstock. So we believe in that by putting seaweed and some innovations in our production process, um, that we can put the production cost down over time. So we have a clear roadmap to get there. And yeah, there's lots of R&D that needs to, uh, that we need to do, but we are optimistic that we can yeah, compete on, on price in a few years from now. Yeah. And you said that you want to be at the forefront of this all. What does the competitive landscape look like in Australia? I mean, particularly you're in that kind of renewable, reusable space. Do you find it's quite collaborative or do you have like, is there competition in terms of like you want to be the front runner compared to other people? Um, we tr- I, th- I would like to say that we are doing differently from the old industry. I think we dialogue a lot. We have consortiums like the one that I spoke about to check it out Go Go PHA is a consortium of all PHA producers around the world getting together and realizing that there is a lot of work to be done with the governments. For instance, for our materials to scale well, we need councils to be 
uh, investing in composting facilities, right? Mm. So you have a bin at home that's a composting bin where you can put your food and your PHA in and then the government can come shop it up and do a nice compost. So there is a lot of work that needs to be done around the technology because technology alone is not going to be enough. So I think... Yeah, at least Aulu, the way we see is like, let's dialogue with others trying to do good. Because if you look at the size of the market and we're so small about it, like we need to join our force and make sure that us and the ecosystem grow. Because the, the, yeah, what we, we're trying to kill here, let's say, is the petrochemicals that produce those mm. plastic pellets, you know, out of oil and gas. And, and that's where, you know, 99% of the market is. We are like 1% of the market, those biomaterials. Um, so, yeah, I would like to see that we are doing differently and we are highly collaborative and dialoguing and, yeah. <laughs> Helps when you have a, you know, a community to help support and ask questions too. <laughs> yeah. We know that in the finance space. <laughs> Absolutely. You touched on before the capital raise that you did. Was it $10 million? So we, we raised the, 9.6 Australian dollars, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Was that something that you had experience doing before and how was that process? Yeah, I, I've been learning on the journey. So mm. I think having Michael, a co-founder, really help, um, yeah, on that side of the business because he comes from a finance background. But for me, I'm like learning a bit on the go. <laughs> so our pre-seed pre round was in a safe note. So it was, it was like a... Yeah, not a, a vesting round and then the seed one, just learning as we go around pitching and, and creating the network of investors that are there for the long run and are interested in investing in businesses that has the potential for profits, but also potential for impact at scale. So that's the type of investor that we're working with, what's called impact investment, where you, know, you have your board meeting and you report not only on your financials, but also your KPIs on, on impact. Yeah. And I think that impact investor category is really growing. We spoke to a founder um, Natasia, who founded a brand called Conserving Beauty. Oh, yeah, I know her. The Waterless yeah. Beauty brand. Yeah. And she was saying the same thing, that they have really surrounded themselves around impact investors. And yes, it's obviously about profit to some extent, but really you have this incredible community of people that really are focused on making a difference in their realm of expertise. You know, you're talking about seaweed, you're talking about water. I mean, I guess they go hand in hand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like, as Maddie said before, there really has been this surge of people talking about and engaging with renewable, recyclable, sustainable products. Yes, yes. I, I know their business quite well because we have an investor in common uh, called Alberts. That's an impact mm. investment family yeah. office. But also like we love their packaging, the yellow packaging. Yeah. Like, and we're trying to do the leads. We'll see. Oh, so amazing. we're doing some prototyping together. So which is cool. Because she's on the luxury packaging. So. Yeah, well I actually went and, went and bought all um, <laughs> I went and bought all her their products after we interviewed her and I'm obsessed. <laughs> yeah, That's so cool. good. They're amazing. Yes. With the money that you raised, have you allocated that money to certain um, aspects of the business or certain things that you want to do with it? Would you be able to shed some light on where that money's sort of going? Yeah. So before the capital, we were working like tiny scale on the bench, which allows you to do what's called bioprocess optimization. So really like 
um, making, decreasing the amount of seaweed that you need per kilo material that you produce. So you can do a lot of that bioprocess optimization. Uh, but then with the, this new capital, we were able to build a pilot plant that then scale up that process to like a kilos scale. So we're producing about one kilo of our material per week. And that's necessary to do product development. So like mm. start to do the little pellets for different markets and also send those pellets, which is our product really, to the brands for them to do manufacturing trials. So most of the capital went on to building that pilot plant that we have now, um, but also in, in, in hiring more. So now we're like 17 people. Wow. So 17? Most, yeah, so mostly oh scientists and engineers. Yeah. So yeah, a bit went on that as well, and making our R&D team strong and yeah, keep breaking through things incredible mm. gotta dedicate that money to that research <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we are going to be speaking with you or we're going to be watching you speak at a vogue codes event that's in sydney this weekend can you tell us about some of the work that you're doing with vogue codes yeah so we are we in dialogue they are very like keen to follow the journey particularly because we are on the fashion uh, space and they are just as passionate as, as us on uh creating um more sustainable um, products for fashion so yeah it's good to be networking with them and so good to have um, organizations like them that help us spread the word about our mission because it's, it's very important to bring everybody with us on the journey it's not only about Tulu but the ecosystem around it so we're very lucky to be able yeah. to participate we saw that the event sold out, so... I know, I was going to spruik and say, can you give us a sneak peek for if anyone wants to come and listen, but I guess too late. <laughs> Coming to the end of our chat now, I want to take you sort of back to when you first were starting, I guess, Ulu or any one of the sort of businesses that you've worked in over time. And knowing what you know now, if you could tell your previous self something about starting a business, what advice would you give them? I think it's just to ensure that even on the hard times, there are always small wins. So for, uh, for myself, it's just to make sure that you brief and you take your breaks and you go for your run or whatever it is that you need to relax and yeah, have fun on the process and, and learn to... I think now I'm so much better at seeing, like, let's say, okay, I want to replace plastic at scale. It's, like, massive. But it, like, creates the imaginary steps mm. uh, that you have those daily wins, the weekly wins, the, the monthly wins, and make sure that you celebrate those with yourself and your team. Um, so you create that culture of, yeah, being able to sprint, but at the same time relax so you can have mm. a second very good sprint. And I think that's one thing that I would tell myself because I think I got better at that. At the beginning, it's just like, let's go. And it's like, that is a problem. And you like focus on the problem. And sometimes it's better to leave the problem there, take a break, come back and tackle that problem. And if you have a, a victory, if you're always looking at the next one, you don't take the time to celebrate, you end up being burned out. So I think mm. it's very important to thinking steps, take your time to celebrate the big wins and remember the failures, they are there, they can wait a little bit, get your brief, go for whatever hobby you have and come back and they're going to be solvable. I mean, especially when you're solving a mission like yours, yeah. I can imagine that I'm, it's so, I mean, you must just wake up every day and like be so excited about what you're able to achieve at work. But I can imagine that, you know, when you do have those harder times, it's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, it, it requires a lot of persistency, but having such an awesome mission, I think is something that, you know, I always 
jump in the morning. It's like a great, so lucky, yeah. you know, to have such an awesome mission with a fantastic team, everybody so vested in to make it happen. And yeah, it's, it's just very special. Yes. I also love that advice because it's telling people to be present because mm. I so like I so egregious. We can get so caught up in day to day doing your job and then like you just forget that this whole process is a bit of a journey and so well, I your like life that. is the process. Mm. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's yeah. get deep and meaningful. <laughs> it's a journey, isn't it? Yeah. It's about it's so. a journey. <laughs> So our final question for you, which we love, imagine you were sitting here in 10 years' time. What would be a successful Ulu for you? I think a successful Ulu story will be one where we have tangible impact on the ground and we are delivering um, on this dream of having some products on the market that are now made with Ulu. And rather than doing some bad things to the world, it's actually being good for the world. We have this dream of having something that we can scale and the more of the better for the world. Yeah. Um, so having a material in the market that's replacing plastic at scale while removing carbon from the environment. So helping us tackle climate change and also cleaning up our oceans and empowering a lot of people on the ground. You know, one, one bit that we didn't speak about, but the, f- the farmers on the ground in, in places like Indonesia, 65% of them are female so there's lots around um yeah female empowerment as well which yeah it would be awesome to be in a few years having lots of ladies working with us and then seeing all those uh, good things happening as we scale well hopefully ulu can be (laughs) as big as uber yeah yeah (laughs) to ulu that's it to ulu fingers crossed (laughs) well julia thank you so much for joining us today it's an incredible story it's super inspiring and i'm just so glad that there are people in the world like you with your skills and knowledge and you're putting it to work in for a really incredible cause we're super excited to see you this weekend speak at the Vogue Codes conference. So we will see you there. But in the meantime, if anyone would like to know more about Ulu or read more about the mission and what you're doing, where can they head? I would say head to our website uh, or our social media channels. Through the website, there are forms there uh, that you can reach out to us and we, we're always very responsive and we're always looking for connecting with as many people as possible. So I also thank you guys from this initiative because for us it's very important to spread the, the message and connect with a lot of people. So thank you for your awesome job as well, which is very important. No, of course. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Evening. As we said in the intro, do you feel crap about your job? (laughs) (laughs) We don't. (laughs) Love our jobs. That was such a fun episode. A big thank you to Julia. Highly recommend you go and read more and learn more about Ulu. Honestly, we had so much fun researching for this episode and then being able to chat to Julia today. And if you want to hear more chats like this, then also follow us, follow, subscribe and join us on our social media channels. Maddie, what are they? at YGC Podcast for TikTok and Instagram and YGC Investing Podcast Discussion Group on Facebook. Share it with a friend and we will catch you next week. Catch you then. You have been listening to an Equity Mates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. 
before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.